0: Hey, good morning, everybody. We're in a series right now called Stand Up, and these three weekends of this series are getting us ready for a very special day. Two weeks from today, unlike our normal four services that we have on a weekend at New Spring, we will only have one service, and it won't be on this campus. It will be at the Hartman Arena. So that is two weeks from today at 10 o'clock. And the reason why we're moving to that venue is that's the only way we can have everybody in one room Thousands of us will gather to see hundreds of us go public with our faith in something called believers' baptism. And so, baptism really is just standing up for Jesus by communicating our public affiliation with Him. But today, I want to talk with you um, in maybe a different kind of sermon than I normally bring. I want to talk with you about what baptism is all about because somebody could well ask the question. With all the wonderful things we have going on at New Spring, why would we take one of our 52 weekends, go to a different campus, have one huge service, and pretty much for the purpose of baptism? Why would we do that? Is baptism really that important? And after all, what does baptism really mean? So I want to take just a few moments today and talk with you about that so that if you've got any questions about it or if you've just ever been a little unclear Maybe today will be an important day for us to settle this question. As I know, as I'll share with you, it had to be settled in my life when I was very young. But let me just take you back to the first century for a few moments. Because when you study the Bible, what we discover about baptism, is very simple. As I've shared with you before, I'm a poster child for ADD, and I really like things when they're very, very simple. If you give me a list, you lose me. And I like things that are understandable, and I can sink my teeth into it. What I discover when I read the Bible is that Christian life following Jesus is really very, very simple. It takes religion to obfuscate it and to make it complicated. So let's just go back to the first century and see very clearly what baptism was. What we're going to find again and again is that baptism was a way for people to go public with faith. No one was ever baptized until they had faith in Jesus Christ. People would have a moment when they committed their lives to Christ, a personal, private, internal moment. And then they would go public with their faith through baptism. And we see this over and over again. Only people who have put faith in Jesus followed Jesus publicly in believers' baptism. And then nobody could do it for anybody else. It was always a personal matter. And then beyond that, every person who was baptized did so by showing something publicly, a demonstration of something. For instance, when Paul talked about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, He he congealed it down to three facts. He said the good news of Jesus is the death, burial, and resurrection. Death of Jesus, his burial, his resurrection. Paul said this is the gospel, this is the good news. Let me tell you why that's significant. The only hope that I have of going to heaven is tied up in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I cannot go to heaven on my own. I do not have enough good works I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. There is no way that Mark can go to heaven on his own. You know, every once in a while, people will say, well, surely I've got to do something or surely there's got to be something that I do with my religion that makes me good enough to go to heaven. And yet the Bible says the only hope that we have is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So people in the Bible who went public with their faith did so by allowing themselves to be placed underwater and brought up out of the water, showing death death burial, and resurrection. Now, what's, what's interesting about that is no, no minister thought that up, no religion thought it up, no church thought it up. This was something that God gave to, the, to those who follow Jesus as an example or a way to demonstrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Through the years, I've had the privilege of being in, in foreign countries where I didn't speak the language. And I've experienced baptism in those environments. It's always been something very pleasant for me because even though I didn't speak the language, instantly there was a bond between me and those people who were, who were going through baptism because I knew exactly who they followed. They were painting a picture for me. By going under the water, showing death and burial, and coming out of the water, they were saying, I am identifying with the person who died, who was buried, and who rose again from the grave. Now, one thing that we see really clearly in the Bible is that baptism is not what saves you. It is a picture of what saves you. In fact, the best illustration I can give you would be a wedding ring. Now, this ring that I have on on, on my left hand, Mary Alice put it on my hand on June. Last night I had to think about it for a moment. June 11, 1977. And, and in, a, in a chapel, you know, in, a, in our college chapel in Arlington, Texas, You know, Mary Alice and I stood before my dad, and he asked us if we would vow to love each other, and there came a moment when Mary Alice put this ring on my finger. Now, let me ask you a question. Would it be possible for me to be married without this ring? This means yes. Yes, of course. The ring didn't make me married. I mean, I've married couples before in my 33 years of pastoring. I've married couples who were so poor they couldn't afford rings. Could they get married? Absolutely. You know, they wanted to be married. They got a license from the state of Texas, state of Kansas, and because of that, I was able to perform the ceremony, and they didn't have rings, but they still got married. Now, the thing about that, it is true that you can be married without a ring, but of those of us who are married, 99 and 9 tenths percent of us wear wedding rings because it is an understood symbol. It becomes a tangible, visible, external symbol of a change that has occurred in our lives and i wear this ring proudly because Mary Alice put it on my finger. It is my wedding ring. It did not make me married. I could be married without it, but I am proud of her and proud of my relationship to her, and i wear this as a symbol. Baptism is very much like that. Baptism does not save you. We know that for many reasons because, for one thing, there are myriad verses in the Bible that tell us how to, how to be saved, how to be born again, how to have a relationship with Jesus. And Almost all those verses don't even mention baptism. Romans ten nine, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. No mention of baptism. Romans ten thirteen, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I didn't hear baptism in there. Did you? John 3:16 whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. No mention of baptism. John 5:24 he that hears my word Jesus said believes on him who sent me has everlasting life will not come into condemnation but is already passed from death to life. No mention of baptism. I could keep you here for probably 20 minutes, and just quote verses to you where the Bible tells you how to have a relationship with God. And over and over it says, believe, 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 believe. Never mentions baptism. When Jesus was hanging on a cross, there was a thief beside him. There was a man who had committed insurrection, maybe he had even committed murder in the process of insurrection. And he was dying a death that by his own admission, he deserved to die. But the light switch came on for him while he was hanging on the cross. And he looked over at Jesus and he said, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? Those of you who are new springers, you will know that at the end of every service, as I will today, I give people a chance if they've never prayed to receive Jesus an opportunity. What do I always say? These are not magic words. It's not the words, it's what you mean in your heart. Do you remember what the thief said? He just said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I mean, that's not the most eloquent prayer that anybody ever prayed. But Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, how's he going to be baptized? He's hanging on a cross. That's his last experience. There's never going to be any chance for him to be baptized. So he never got to put the ring on. Was he saved? Absolutely. So what I want to get across is in the first century, we were very clear on this, that baptism did not, it did not save a person. It did not give a person that relationship with God. It, was, it, it, it did absolutely nothing to affect eternal life. It was a picture. It was a symbol. It was going public. See, many of us, including myself, when we accepted Jesus, when we prayed to receive Jesus, it was a very private moment. It was a very personal moment. It was an internal thing. I really think that when it comes to like having faith in Jesus, whenever that moment occurs, I think it tends to usually be a very private thing. In fact, how many of us put our confidence in Jesus and never told anybody for a while? Maybe you were here at New Spring, and you, you prayed like hundreds have to receive Jesus, and you might not have you know, even filled out the card and got the packet. I mean, you may not have told anybody about it. It's just you had a very private moment, but it was, it was a life-changing moment. It was a game-changer, an eternal game-changer, because at the moment you prayed, Jesus was on the other end of that prayer, and bam, you became God's child. God wrote your name in the census book of heaven, and you were totally secure. Baptism is that way of going public and saying, I am not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed. I'm going public with my faith. I'm not trying to strut. I'm not trying to show off. I'm just saying, just like a bride or a groom who wears a wedding ring, I just want everybody to know I am not ashamed of Jesus. I am standing up for him. And I'm standing up for him by actually going through the motions of what he did for me. Hey, aren't you glad that when God wanted us to demonstrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he didn't ask that we really be buried? Because nobody could survive going public, right? He just used water. Because with water, you can sort of symbolize death, burial, and resurrection. So that's what happened in the first century. Only people who had put confidence in Jesus went public with their faith because after all, you can't give testimony to something hasn't happened yet. One of my closest friends, a new Springer, was in our service last service, one of the finest judges this area has ever known. And he and I have talked about that many times. No one could go into his courtroom when he was sitting on the bench and say, well, I think something is going to happen or this or that will be happening in the future because you can't give testimony to something hasn't happened yet. You can only testify to something, that's happened. So the people who gave testimony to their faith, first of all, had that faith, and then they went public, they understood that it did not save them, but it was a way for them to demonstrate the good news, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. You guys know I always say I hate religion, and I have to put quotation marks around that so that you won't take me in the wrong way. When I think about religion, religion to me, systematized, man-made religion is man's flailing attempt to connect with God. It's man's attempt to look to heaven and say, God, you should accept me because I have jumped through these hoops or I've learned the system. When I look at the Bible, it is not human beings trying to connect with God. It is God desperately wanting to connect with you. That's the story of the Bible. If you were here last weekend, I said the problem with religion is religion is a way of life that promises a way to God. In other words, if you learn these facts, if you, get, if you become part of the system, if you join this church, if you give this money, if you jump through these hoops, if you get your lifestyle at such a level that you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, that will open up a, a way to God. Well, that's not possible. Man, I can't even be good for 30 minutes if goodness means perfection. Can you? Can you? Can you do everything you're supposed to do and not do anything wrong for a whole day? I mean, I'll give you a day. I couldn't do it for 30 minutes. Well, let's, be, let's get real. If perfection is the only way to get to God, and the Bible is very clear that it is, who among us can do that on our own? So it's, it, God says, no, it's not a way of life that leads to a way to God. It's a way to God that leads to a way of life. Jesus became our way to God. That's why he said in John 14, 6, we saw last week, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, this is the way. He said, I am the way. In effect, what Jesus did, as we saw last week, he gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. After living a perfect life, he paid the price for our sin so that all of us could accept God's free gift of eternal life. And instantly, you know, when you come to Jesus, he takes you just like you are. You don't have to change your way of life. You come just like you are, and the good news is he won't leave you the way he found you. When you experience that way to God, he will begin to help you lead a different kind of life. Well, as I've said, you give religion time, and it can screw up anything, and if it's ever screwed up anything, Lord knows it screwed up baptism. Let me tell you how it happened. I don't want to give you a history lesson. This is probably more than you want to know, but at least it'll help us understand why things are kind of fuzzy today. In the first century, when when Jesus was on the earth, when the church was getting going, baptism was a settled thing. But then about the middle of the second century, there was some error that began to creep into the Christian community. And, And I think it's our human nature because our human nature has a hard time with grace. Grace says that God gives us eternal life free of charge. And there's something about our human nature that says, but don't I have to do something? Don't I have to join a church? Isn't there something I can do? And that that's, you know, I, this is maybe not a good illustration, but I always think about it this way. Suppose you were invited to a state dinner at the White House. Or maybe a king or queen invited you to the palace for a dinner. And you get there and it's like beautiful, beyond your wildest imagination. Lobster, steak, shrimp, oysters on the half shell, potato salad. German chocolate cake. All my favorites are there at this, at this incredible meal. And you got this sparkling crystal and, you know, magnificent accoutrements. And suppose you or I walked in and we said, hey, you know, I just thought I need to bring something. And, and, and I've got a Tupperware. Do people still have Tupperware? I don't know if they do or not. But i got a Tupperware of some stale pork and beans. I just thought I need to bring something. You know, they would run you and me out of there real fast. Because you don't bring stale pork and beans to a state dinner. Listen, if you and I think that there's anything in the world that we can do that will get us into heaven, that's like bringing stale pork and beans to a state dinner. Grace is something God does for us. But there's something in our warped human nature that says, well, i got to add this to it. And by the middle of the second century, there began to be some teaching that said, you know what? You have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, we already know that's not true. Like I said, all these verses that talk about salvation don't even mention baptism. Thief on the cross. I could go on and on. But you know, that, that appealed to the dark side of our human nature that says there's something that we have to do. And after a while, it spread like wildfire through a lot of churches. You know what? We have to be baptized in order to be saved. By the third century, there were parents who started getting freaked out about this thinking, hey, wait a minute. If you have to be baptized in order to be saved... Maybe we should just start baptizing our babies. Because after all, baptism is what gets you into heaven. Let's just make sure they don't even get a chance to choose. Well, I don't need to tell you that is a million miles away from the New Testament. That has no resemblance at all to the gospel of Jesus. Because what does the Bible say? Believe, 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 believe. But all of a sudden, people begin to baptize their babies. But there's an even bigger problem on the horizon. By the 4th century, there's a Roman emperor whose name is Constantine. Again, this is more than you want to know, but the Roman Empire was fraying at the edges. And the Roman Empires were growing weaker and weaker and weaker. And by the 4th century, Constantine was on the throne, but he was presiding over an empire that was just about dead. And he was thinking to himself, what can I do to coalesce the empire? What can I do to bring everybody together? Now, this is, take your time out for a moment. What's really interesting about the first three centuries of following Jesus is that if you went public with your faith, you could lose your life for going public. You know... In a couple of weeks when we have Watermark at the Hartman, you know, some of you are, you know, you've got parties scheduled that day. You've you got family coming in and you're celebrating your baptism. I mean, last year, you know, local media was there. We were on the news and Eagle and AFR took the news all over the country. It was a celebration that this church in Wichita saw 300 people baptized in one service. It's exciting for us. And thankfully, we live in a country where, where that's the case. But in the first century, and in places in our world today, people who go public with their faith instantly could be hounded, hunted, and even killed. But by the fourth century, Constantine, the Roman emperor, looked out on the empire and said, what can I do to bring the empire together? And he looked out, and even though Christians had been persecuted, Christians were everywhere. And Constantine had this wake-up call in which he said, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to declare the whole Roman empire Christian. Now, can you see how far we've come in 400 years? Because now, all of a sudden, you've got a Roman emperor who's now beginning to pull stuff from the Roman empire and merge it with the church, and next thing you know, you've got this amalgamation, you've got this this combination that's neither Roman empire or Christian church. But you know what you need to do if you're going to lead that kind of power, you have to have some way to initiate everybody into that so that everybody will have to submit themselves to your leadership. There's got to be some kind of show or symbol of that. Constantine looked out and he saw some people baptizing their babies. And by the year, listen to me, by the year 416, it was a Roman law that babies had to be baptized. By the way, not Constantine. This is more than you want to know. Constantine would not be baptized till the end of his life because in his warp theology, he thought that when you were baptized, it, it caused you to be washed from all your sins. So he wanted to wait, to wait till the end of his life so that all his sins were passed. That's a fact. How do we get here? Do you, do you see why I, I hate religion? It just screws up everything. It is such a simple thing. Baptism is going public with your faith. After you have faith, you demonstrate that. You go through the motions of death, burial, and resurrection to say, I follow Jesus. How do we get to where we are? Well, for most of us, baptism is kind of fuzzy. And so I want to just do something that's really important. I want to take us to the Bible. Guys, when you believe what you believe, please don't just believe it because of New Spring Church and for sure don't believe it because Mark says it. If you hear me say something, get your Bible and check me out. I would want you to do that. Because when you die, when the time comes for you to cross over and you're looking at at what your hope is and what is going to get you into the next life, you're going to need so much more than my church teaches this or my minister teaches this. You're going to want to know that you've got solid footing. So even though baptism does not get you into heaven, even though it's a symbol, I want to do something for about 10 minutes. I want to take you to the Bible, and I want, you to, let, I want to let you see what the Bible has to say about baptism. And uh, when this is over, we'll say, well, we know, we know what the Bible says. The reason I want to take you to this first scripture is that some people could say, and this would be my personality, because I'm the kind of person that likes to stay away from controversy. Somebody could say, well, Mark, if it doesn't really get you to heaven is it even important enough to talk about? Because there are Christian churches that actually arrive at that conclusion. If it's not that important, why even discuss it? Well, you know, if it comes to religion or tradition, I would be the first to agree with that. But when Jesus says something, I've got... I've got, to, I've got to go with what he says. Now, I want you to look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples. By the way, this was after he died, after he was resurrected, he was getting ready to go back to heaven. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, and, and this is what's cool, he is going to give us what the church needs to accomplish. And notice there are only three things on the list. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given. Now, that's what the church is to do. To enroll pupils is what make disciples means. To enroll learners, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach the commands of Jesus. And that's what we're about at New Spring. This is what's called the Great Commission. I do find it interesting that one of the three is baptism. So do you see why I can't just say it doesn't matter? I mean, our commander-in-chief, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has said, I want three things from my church. I want you to enroll pupils. I want you to baptize and make disciples. Now I want to take you to the book of Acts chapter 2 because in Acts 2, we have the very first church service of the very first church. This would be only a few weeks later from what Jesus said to his disciples in the scripture that we just read. Again, let me go through this quickly, and and, and I'm probably going to raise some questions here. If I do, I'm sorry. I'll try to tackle them another weekend. But at the beginning of the church, by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, the the first church only has 120 people in it. And they, they have been praying, and Jesus has told them, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. God is one God but three persons. There's Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples before he left, I want you to wait here. And, and he said, the thing is, it's better for me that I go away. They had a hard time accepting that. He said, it's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he was God and human at the same time, which means he relegated himself to the constraints of a human body. The great thing about the Holy Spirit is that he can be in all places at one time. He is spirit which means as soon as the service is over I've got to go to Texas it means he can go with me but he can go home with you he can be with our brothers and sisters in China he can be with our brothers and sisters in Africa right now at this moment and that's why Jesus said to the disciples it's advantageous for you that I go away because I'm going to send the holy spirit so these 120 they're waiting for the holy spirit to come Jesus has left he's gone to heaven they're praying they're waiting you may have heard the term Pentecost, and for some of us it freaks us out, but really Pentecost was just a Jewish feast. And the reason why, it's very practical, the very reason why God chose Pentecost was people, people groups came from all over the world. People came from every nation to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. What does God want to do? Through Jesus, he wants to get the good news out to all peoples of all nations. So what better day? People are there from all nationalities. Only problem, they speak a lot of different languages. Jesus communicators, they're fishermen. Peter, James, and John, they're, they're, they're ordinary blue-collar guys. And they don't know a lot of languages. So what is the first thing that God does when he sends the Holy Spirit? He basically reverses what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Because if you read what happened at the Tower of Babel, everybody spoke one language. The culture wanted to flip God off and build this Culture that was anti God and completely secular, and God said, "Well, I'll just fix this," and He confused their languages. The next thing you know, they couldn't understand each other. You know, one would say, "Hand me a brick," and the other would have no idea what he said. And that's when God gave many languages. Well, God just reversed that on the day of Pentecost because Peter got up to speak, and suddenly all these people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all these people were able to understand their own languages. And I don't think Peter intended to give a sermon. I don't even think he knew what it meant to preach. It's just that with all this going on, there was a lot of question about what's going on. Why, why are we all hearing this in our own language? And Peter stood up to explain. And when he stood up to explain, he preached the first sermon in the first church. And basically, here was his sermon. You know, God promised that he would send us away and a person. And that person has come. And guess what you did? You killed him. You hung him on a tree. But there's good news he arose from the grave, and he still loves you, and he will forgive you for any sin you've ever committed. And if you'll commit your life to him, God will give you a brand new life. And the next thing you know, there are thousands of people that said, sign me up. That's what I want to read to you in Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to to the church that day about 3,000. So, That's what happens when God's people respond to the message and put faith and trust in Jesus. The very next step is to go public with your faith in baptism. Now, a few moments ago, I said to you that baptism was a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There are a lot of places in the Bible that I could go to to show you this, but I've picked Romans 6-4. And I want you to look at it with me, please, because this is really special. In Romans 6-4, the Bible says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, what did Paul say was the gospel? Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Look at it again. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what happens when a person is baptized? Their Lord below the water showing death and burial and resurrection. And what that person is saying when he or she is baptized is, I understand all my hope, all my confidence is not in a church, it's not in a person, it's not, excuse me, it's not in a system, it is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And I'm so tightly identified with him, I am actually going through the motions of death, burial, and resurrection to show that I'm committed to him. And by the way, it isn't just showing Jesus death, burial, and resurrection, it's also showing that... The old me is dead and buried, and a new person has come to life in Jesus Christ. Like Paul said, we're living a new life. My father was a pastor. You know, many of you know that I just celebrated 25 years here at New Spring, and that's a long time, but I've got a long way to go to catch my dad. He pastored almost 50 years the same church, and I watched him baptize hundreds and hundreds of people, including myself. And my father used to have something he would say every time he would baptize someone. And I, I can remember, it's kind of like tattooed on my soul. He would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. I was a real little kid. I kept wondering who Eunice was because I couldn't, <laughs> we didn't have any women in our church named Eunice. But as I got older, I knew what he was saying. He was saying, look. When you're baptized and you're, you're brought up out of the water, it is as if to say, I am living a new life. I'm a new person. Which, by the way, is interesting because thousands of us will watch those who are baptized. We're not just being spectators. Did you know in the first century that every time the church had a baptism, those who had already been baptized, it was a way of them enjoying and celebrating, and it was also a way of them recommitting to Jesus Christ is they would watch their brothers and sisters go through baptism, it would be like, yeah, I believe that too. Yeah, I'm for Jesus too. Yeah, I'm standing up for him too. How cool is that? Well, let me give you one more, and this one is very personal with me. And could I just give you a little background before I get into this verse? Um, if baptism is a testimony of your faith after you put your confidence in Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that it's really important to have your baptism on the right side of your salvation. Because, you know, what can you give testimony to if it hasn't happened yet? Here's my story. And forgive me for the personal reference, please. I've always been honest with you that faith comes hard for me. Spirituality comes hard for me. My mom and dad, the greatest people you ever saw in your life, they love God, very spiritual, people of great faith. Even as a child, I was envious of how easy faith came to them. My wife, Mary Alice, huge faith. For me, faith is a struggle. I'm a practical, no-nonsense, bottom line, just give me the facts kind of person. I struggle with believing the invisible. When I was five... My parents wanted to talk to me about committing my life to Jesus. I remember I was playing with little plastic figurines in the living room in my house, and my mom and dad asked me to stop and asked me to listen to them, and I did. And I knew they were trying to talk to me for my good, and I tried to listen. But it just went really right over my head. And they asked me if I would like to pray to receive Jesus. And I think, to be honest with you, I was trying to please them, and I wanted to get back to playing with my plastic figurines, and prayer seemed to be the key to getting there. And so I prayed the prayer. I mean, I wasn't faking. I mean, I, I sort of thought, well, if this is important, I'm going to do this. And, and I prayed the prayer. The next day, I was baptized in my church. But honestly, when I say I was baptized, let's, let's keep it real here. I went down dry and came up wet. That's what happened to Mark. Three years later, when I was eight years old, I was on the playground of my school on a Monday morning. The week, the Sunday before, my father had been preaching, and he said, if, if you will put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ and ask Him to save you, He will forgive you of all your sins. And I mean, it penetrated and it got through to me, and I got it. And on the playground of Forest Hill School in Fort Worth, Texas, i bent been over and to get a drink, and, and while I was getting a drink, I prayed to receive Christ. Now, like I said, I didn't pray out loud because for one thing, I was getting a drink. That would have been quite a trick if I could have talked out loud while I was getting water. I mean, you would have, you would have had no idea anything was going on in this kid's life. I looked like a normal kid on the playground of a normal school, bent over a water fountain, getting a drink, but at that very moment, I was making the most important decision in my life. I understood clearly that Jesus died for me. I believed, I asked him. But now I've got a problem on my hands because I'm the pastor's kid and I'm in a small church. And everybody thinks Mark's already been baptized. And, and honestly, I just didn't have the courage to say, I need to deal with this. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but it took me six years. I was 14 finally by the time that I, I made this decision. And let me just tell you why I made this decision. I had a lot of questions inside of me. If, if I've truly committed my life to Jesus, and he's the most important person in my life, why is it that I'm struggling with dealing with my pride and going public with my faith? If he's really that important to me, is it really real? Did I really mean it? I mean, after all, by the time I'm 14, I can't remember too well what it meant to be eight. And I'm, I've got questions and nagging questions. And, and, and God never like screamed at me or yelled at me. Have, have you ever had just God just sort of lean on you? He's very heavy. I mean, I would be in a church service and God would say, hey, we got a little matter for us to deal with here, don't we? And I'd say, I'll, I'll get around to that. But it was because, in my case, it wasn't that I didn't know about baptism. It was rebellion, and it was my pride. And it was affecting my confidence and my assurance. I came across a verse, and this verse on baptism is so important. I want to do something I almost never do. I want to read to you out of the Amplified Translation. Now, the Amplified Translation is like eating shredded wheat to read. And I don't like shredded wheat, okay, just so you'll know that. The New Testament was written in Greek. And there's a lot of stuff, it is the most colorful language in, in the history of the world. A lot of stuff in Greek just can't come over into English. And so what the Amplified does is it takes stuff from Hebrew and Greek, and, and if, if there's an inference of the language, it, it'll, it'll put it in parentheses. So when we read this, you're going to see a lot of parentheses. But it's so important, you'll see exactly what the Bible has said about baptism in First Peter chapter 3, verse 21. This was the verse that helped me sort it out. Okay, verse 21, and baptism, which is a figure, that means like a picture, baptism does not save you, it's a picture. Remember, it's just like, you know, I, rem- and the, I used to travel and speak a lot, and when I would travel, I would take a picture of Mary Alice with me. Well, there is a world of difference between having a picture of Mary Alice and actually having Mary Alice with me, and that's, baptism is a figure, it's a picture, and baptism, which is a figure of their deliverance, does now also save you from inward questionings and fears not by the removing of the outward body filth or like bathing, but by providing you with the answer of a good and clear conscience, inward cleanliness and peace before God, because you are demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've said this multiple times this morning, but when you pray to receive Jesus, it tends to be a very personal, private moment. In fact, just like with me, nobody might even know that you made the biggest decision of your life. But without baptism, we're always subject to question. What was I thinking? Was I really sincere? Was it real? Baptism is that way of nailing it down and making it public. It says that it saves us from inward questionings and fears. When you are so confident in your heart to follow Jesus that you're willing to go public with your faith, you can say, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure I knew when I prayed, what I prayed, but I know this, there was a moment in my life where Jesus was so real, I wasn't ashamed of him, and I went public with my faith. And as Peter said, it has a way of answering those doubts and fears, and I will tell you, it did this in Mark's life. When at the age of 14, and by the way, it wasn't as easy as this today. You know, if you make a decision, you can just check a box or you can enroll online. I was in a small church, and when people made decisions, they had to walk forward in a service to the front of the church, just like in a Billy Graham crusade, for those of you who can remember. And I remember being 14 years old and finally finding the courage to walk forward. And when I stepped forward to meet my dad at the front, I said, Dad, I've accepted Jesus. I just need to get my baptism on the right side of my faith. And it was a powerful, powerful moment. You know, that, that assurance is huge. There's nothing more important than knowing for sure that you have a relationship with God. I've talked about baptism here today. As important as baptism is, it pales in significance to you knowing that you've invited Jesus Christ into your life. I guess it's on my mind today. Last night was a really tough time for my family. When um, the late service was over, Mary Alice had gone to her car, and my car was out in the parking lot, and I was a little bit later getting out. And my son Stephen called me from the parking lot and told me that when Mary Alice got to the car, she opened up her her phone, and it seems that her family in Texas had been trying to reach her all during the service because her dad had died suddenly during the 6 o'clock service. And on the way home last night, my mind went back to a moment about 20 years ago. My, my father-in-law was just the nicest guy you would ever meet. I, I think he would do anything in the world for you. In fact, he was the one who drove the truck up when, when we moved here 25 years ago to come to New Spring. He was the kindest guy in the world, never said much, very quiet. In fact, you could, couldn't get a lot of words out of him. And for all the time in the early years when Mary Alice was growing up, my father-in-law did not attend church. He was not a churchman. And we were all unsure about what what his spiritual commitment was. But in later years, he came back to church and committed his life to Christ. But I remember about 20 years ago, they came from Texas to see us. And usually, you know what, what it's like when we, we were living on South Hillside on those days. It was by, by our old campus there. When my, when my mother and father-in-law would come to see us, you know, they would get out and they would and greet us and greet the boys and come inside. But on this particular trip, it was different. This will tell you how long ago it's been. My father-in-law had been listening to a sermon series of mine that was on cassette tape. For those of you who are young, cassettes are prehistoric MP3 files, okay. My father-in-law had been listening to a series, and they drove up, and my mother-in-law got out and greeted us all, and my father-in-law looked at me and said, get in the truck. <laughs> he didn't get out. He didn't say hello to Mary Else and the boys. He just looked at me and said, get in the truck. And we drove down to a McDonald's right by the church, and he sat across the table from me and said, I've been listening to your sermons, and he said, I want you to help me I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. And there at that McDonald's on South Hillside, I sat across from my father-in-law and I told him what I tell you every week. And last night when I got the word, my mind just went back to that moment 20 years ago. And because of that, I know where he is today. And when I step up to preach his funeral this week, I'm going to have complete confidence and assurance. How's it with you? Do you know for sure you have a relationship with God? Say, well, I had great parents, so did I. That won't get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. You say, I was, you know, I'm a member of a church. Hey. I love New Spring. For 25 years I've been pastor. I think I would die for this church. But as much as I love New Spring Church, it won't get you into heaven. You say, I'm a good person. Let's not even go there. You say, I'm an American and America is a Christian country. said, I got good news for you. It's three things. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The news is somebody loved you enough to pay the price for your sin, to die in your place on a cross, Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power to put an exclamation point on the gospel. And anybody who puts confidence in him, anybody who trusts him to pinch hit for them, anybody who invites him into their life has all their sins washed away. Constantine, need to understand this, past, present, and future sins. God writes your name in the census book of heaven, and nothing can ever take that relationship away from you. That's what I told my father-in-law that day 20 years ago. And I'm telling you today, and if you've never done what I did when I was eight years old and invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, I just can't think of a better time than right now. Right now. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Everyone, please, bow your heads and pray. If you've already made this decision, then you'll be praying for those who'll be making it in the next few seconds. You say, Mark, I'm ready. I believe Jesus died for me. How do I I get that relationship? Just a matter of you asking for it. And and these aren't magic words. I'm just going to pray a prayer. These simple words, they just are a big yes to God. But if you mean them from your heart, there's a living God on the other end who will answer your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I've done wrong. And I agree that I cannot save myself. But I believe Jesus took my place. I believe he died for me. I believe his blood paid for my sin. And I believe he arose from the grave. Today I turn from my old way of living. And I trust you to give me the power to live a new life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.